Hello and welcome to On Second Thought with Mike and Luke, an ongoing conversation about ideas and current events. Together we explore what is really true and in the process perhaps we'll develop an antiviral mindset in a world of mental and spiritual decay. I am Luke and that is Mike across from me. I'm Mike, yeah. <laughs> Today we're going to be discussing Ninja Turtles, what? social order enforcement and maybe it's a little Christian nationalism. It's kind of a perennial topic for the last few episodes. I'm excited to get to it, but not yet. I want to start. Mike, I have a question. Yeah, go. This comes from a listener of ours who asked us, why are there so many churches, denominations, different kinds? Why isn't there just one way to be a Christian? Yeah. And is, actually it be, reflecting... is it because our church is the best and they just all get it wrong? <laughs> this is actually, she was representing a question that she had been asked several times as yeah. well. So it yep. isn't just an individual, but it is a common question. And if we try to restate what the question is, what's behind the question is, you know, this is supposed to be a, a religious perspective. There's God is supposed to be involved, what's true, mm -hmm. agreement, peace, love. So why is there all this division and argumentation and... Right. It doesn't seem to mesh with the claims of what this is supposed to be, right? Freeing you from discord and... Well, and this, I think the question sourced from someone who's not a Christian and said, why can't, like, why you guys make it yeah, so complicated? Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. It's, yeah. But I think people who are Christians feel the weight of the same question mm -hmm. and, and ask it. And there are, I think, lots of people who are Christians have a lot of questions like this where they don't necessarily want to say it because they feel like, oh, I'm supposed to know this or this is a question that's not approved of anymore mm. but they wonder why and that's yeah. this is one of them i think why are there so many so why, why so, is it so divisive tell okay. us an answer well we're <laughs> sharing perspectives here but mine comes down to um fundamentally uh that it's an intentional thing by god in order to generate a res an intentional response that he's trying to develop hmm. The intentional thing is that there are divisions. In fact, it says in 2 Corinthians, there's a big argument in the church at Corinth. There's been yeah. several arguments. Mm -hmm. And he says, at one point he says, these divisions, and the actual word division there is heresies. Heresy is not what we think of it today in this original word. It just meant divisions of which it developed into like heretical. Factions. Like factions. Now, when I was, right. I was reading 1 Corinthians recently, and as he was describing it, he started talking about communion. Yes, and it right. sounded even like they wouldn't sit together when they took communion, right? It was like literally Neither they were siding the on the room of who gets to worship with and whom. And in, in that setting, uh, you had people who were hungry, and communion time, they're sharing a meal, but they don't have much. And you had wealthier people, and so there's these divisions that came up, and he says, you guys are missing it big time. Yeah. Anyway, he goes through these different responses to that, and one of them, though, is it's necessary for these divisions to occur. In order that those who are approved might be manifested or made known. But see, when you say it that way, it makes me think, okay, some churches, like, you want to go down in the list and say which churches are approved or not. Well, I don't think it's that. I think it's the it's people. It's necessary. What I think that means is that it's necessary that difficulties and arguments take place, mm -hmm. factions and separations, not that they're good, but it's necessary that it take place in order that something else might be brought forward. So the, and that something else So is, the squeezing produces the juice. That's exactly right. Okay. And I think that something else fundamentally is love. That mm -hmm. um, when I... So we're supposed to be brothers, let's say, or brothers yeah. and sisters. Yeah. And now I'm supposed to join this family. And in so much that the early disciples of Jesus, um, one is a tax collector, mm -hmm. and another is a zealot who has been in armed conflict secretly, 
the tax collector has sided with, he's done part of Rome's job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. zealot is trying to overthrow Rome because it's become <laughs> so oppressive. Yeah. And then you get these very disparate groups brought together, and they have to, they're called to love each other. Right. And all that sets them up by temperament, by background, by things that they've invested time and energy into, is to view each other as adversaries. Mm-hmm. And so I think what Jesus is trying to do is what God's, the, the larger picture is that he allows differences and different perspectives, some that to be resolved, some that will not be resolved, in order that we might work hard to love one another. Yeah. I can tell you, well, one thing that makes me think of is when you see how divided socially the disciples, especially the 12 apostles, were from each other, like they would not have known or cared or been close to each other except that they all wanted to be with yeah, Jesus. that's right. It really then also strikes when he prays and says to the Father, I didn't lose any of them, right, mm-hmm. except for the one, the, the, the son of perdition. And so this idea that he held, the, he held them together. Yeah. It's pretty powerful. Yeah. yeah. And that yeah. that's what he wants to do now. And that's the imagery of lion and lamb, the lion and lamb, that mm-hmm. they'll lie down together. What God is redoing is so significant. Yeah. Natural predators, of which one is aggressive and almost unstoppable, the other is so meek, it almost defenseless. Yeah. They'll let they get together. What? Mm-hmm. What? So I think you actually had a, a contributory answer to that, too, in terms well, of natural of, dynamics. I think of it in terms of why do churches split? Because the only reason there's more than one church is that people in one church at one point said, we got to part ways. Mm-hmm. And as best as I can tell, because I've been involved in churches where I left, sometimes for, well, usually for two reasons. Either there was a doctrinal issue where they wouldn't stand up for the truth or they were teaching something in error, and when confronted on it, they wouldn't bend, they wouldn't give, mm-hmm. and they were in leadership and I wasn't. I'm not here to overthrow churches, so I have to go. That's right. Right? The other one is a a breakdown of trust. If there's, like, you might teach all the right things, but I just don't trust you. I don't trust you with my life. I don't want to give you my heart to what you're about. Yeah. And so when those two things are missing, churches, and and maybe I would say there's a third one, and that is mission. And this is actually a good reason churches split, which is you feel called to the homeless, I feel called to a college campus, and we're just going in different directions. That's right. We can be in the same church if the church is big yeah, enough, yeah. but we're always going to be on different wavelengths. Yeah. And so there does sometimes, in a good way, I remember I went to a mentor who, when I was looking at leaving a church where I was in ministry, mm-hmm. and I said, here's what, here's, I was laying it out. It was mission and it was trust. It wasn't doctrine. And he said, this is great, Luke. This is great that you leave. Mm-hmm. And everyone else was saying, this is like divorce. This is sin. Like if you split yeah. a church, it's yeah. wrong. And he said, no, no, no. If you're on a different mission, why would you walk together? You can't get to two destinations on the same trip. That's right. And so be at peace and depart in peace with them, knowing that God's calling you there and He's calling them here. Yeah. And that's enough. I think one of the other pieces tagging onto that idea is a little bit of uh, making something too good when we look at the past. Mm, So as if the first century church, which starts out really with about 5,000 people, it starts out as a small city. Jerusalem. Yeah, Yeah, and in Jerusalem. And then there's other things, and it's 8,000 quick, and it becomes a megachurch right off the bat. Yeah. But it didn't function in that capacity of one united church. That was Mm -hmm. a truth. It also functioned as small groups that met in homes. Yeah. And as they spread out to the cities, in this first century development of things, there was the view that there is a unity of this church 
in this city. So there's a church in Philippi. There's and they grew in, in favor, and they were present there's in the public sphere. something that sees them all as one. Yeah. But there is uh, pieces. And well, that's an oak and those pieces, developed. often in that, in that early Acts church, those pieces were divided by um, um, ethnicity. There's right? lots Racial of divisions, even from them. the beginning. Even just geography with, with a non-automotive culture, mm-hmm. you know, just yeah. walking. And I think sometimes we uh, make it too rosy when we look back and realize there's no way in these churches that God didn't want... There's something beautiful in both expressions mm. about unity as well as you have your unique things and I have my unique things, and we share a unity, but we go in different direction in pursuing what we think God has for us. Yeah. And that's that's going to happen. I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think that's bad at all, actually. Okay. I'll let her know. <laughs> Our friend who asked. Yeah. All right. If you're enjoying this episode, go ahead and share it with a friend. Click the subscribe button and leave us a review. If it's five stars. I don't, I don't think if it's four stars, don't lie, but you know. Put that fifth one in. It's not going to hurt anybody. All right. I, I don't a, have a problem with four. Come on. <laughs> I have a pop culture question. You so do. I, I watched is this recently. Ninja Turtles? It is. Yeah. So I watched recently. There's a cartoon version of the Ninja Turtles. Like a new one? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and I remember watching the trailer and not being excited about it. But then I have like this subscription and it was free on there. And I thought, I'm going to watch it. And it was actually pretty good. Right? Okay. But I did notice something. There's a trend in Hollywood. And this is what I wanted to bring up. So uh, for those of you who didn't grow up on Ninja Turtles like I did. Um, April O'Neil is the, the female main character among the four turtles, right? And she's always portrayed as redhead and beautiful, and she's a reporter, and everybody feisty, sort of likes yep. her around to look at, right? Yeah. But she's also feisty and... Lois Lane And coffee. she's... Yeah, she's like Lois Lane. So I was talking to a friend who works in Hollywood, and he happens to be redheaded, and he said his roles for redheads are disappearing, and I looked it up, and he's not lying. Mm. That they're taking, and this is this is not a testament to anyone. Well, it's a testament, I think, to how lazy Hollywood is. Basically, all the traditional roles that are going to redheads, they're just giving them now to black people. Mm-hmm. And so even in the cartoon, they do it. Okay. And so the way Hollywood thinks is all stereotypes, right? Yeah, yeah, we yeah. want a short guy, a tall guy, a fat yeah. person, right? Uh, identity. Politics. Identity, everything. Yeah, that's right. And because they, and they're sort of allowed to do it yeah. because that's how they tell their story. Yeah. You know, the black guy uh, dies in the midway and through and is a hero. Uh, the where you had to uh, hit certain quota? Um, well, I know that the Oscars own... are now requiring quotas as far know, as how many characters their... and the plot and all what that. What about when you applied to a school or you applied to work, you had these preferences to right past wrongs? Yeah. I don't I don't remember what it's called. I think of it again. But it's the same thing in in shows. They're yeah, doing yeah, yeah. that now. They're so, implementing on their own. So in April O'Neil's character was now yeah. in place. But what was yeah. funny about it, and this is a little sexist, but it also reminds me of like being a teenager and watching these shows, is they took this sort of like attractive person and they made her overweight. And sort of <laughs> and, and it's a cartoon That's, and yes. the style of the cartoon, everybody's a little funny looking, yeah. but it's sort of like it, I don't understand it, right? I, it's like they don't want anything to be beautiful. Yes. I mean, I, we it's were talking about architecture. I think it is. I think maybe it's not consciously okay. that. That's a good point. But is the it desire really to destroy the good, the true, and the beautiful. Mm. I think there's an intertwining there. Okay, so that's a great question. When a negative and a positive, how much is gaining the balance? Right. So the positive would be we want... To acknowledge, we want somebody who's overweight. We want to say, look, this is a beautiful. Their weight shouldn't diminish their beauty. 
as an individual. And in one sense, we, why, why not? Okay, wait a minute. We could say as Christians, uh -huh. there's truth in this. I mean, you're, as Christians, we say your outward appearance, is your, not your true beauty comes from the heart. That's right. And as a glory, an image bearer, like Lewis said, you've never met a mere mortal. What's happening is a, 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 a result of the fall, and we're seeing a destruction. But if there was no fall, there would no be no destruction of the outward. But here's the Everything trick. Everything would be gloriously beautiful. It takes—the trick is it takes a lot of—I don't want to say effort, but action to be significantly overweight. Now, this character wasn't, right? But we're right, kind of right, getting right. more in yeah. general. Yeah. And we are seeing beauty companies, Dove Soap famously yeah. recently is putting forward someone who's morbidly obese yeah. as their spokesmodel. Sports Illustrated, Sp Swimsuit Edition, we're going to have... It does. So sizes. part of it seems tied to the transgender thing in some way. That, I that, agree. that like, they're put, I don't know. I, I can't put it into words yet. I'm still working on that. But if if someone is morbidly obese, it is a sin. Mm -hmm. They're actively sinning against mm -hmm. themselves mm -hmm. and they're the image of God that resides within That's them. That's right. That's right. Now you can't, I think when the Bible talks about beauty versus not, Part of it's talking about wealth, right? That you mm -hmm. can afford adornments. Mm -hmm. Part of it too is some people genetically are just more attractive. That's correct. That shouldn't. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about there's a there's a character issue at work. I mean, you and I both know you have to work really hard to lose any weight. Yeah, it's not easy. And if yeah. you're significantly overweight, there's habits, there's addictive yeah. tendencies, there's all these things. I'm not saying that they, you know, everybody just lose weight and stop. Yeah. it's not easy. Yeah, but it is a pattern of dysfunction. Yeah, and so. To me, to say, well, we're going to honor or glorify patterns of dysfunction. Yeah. Well, see, now you're 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 identifying the negative side. Yeah. So I'm saying that there's a positive and a negative, and it's not always clear where a person's motivations are. Are mm. they just wanting to lift up Lizzo and say you can be beautiful and you're overweight? Right. Or is there underneath that this desire to assault beauty that God made? Well, and not only that, but I, I think that I think is the there. dysfunction. I think you're right. I think the dysfunction within what we're seeing as leftism express in America, part of that dysfunction is the coddling, like everyone's an infant yes. who should get whatever they That's want. That's right. That's right. right. I agree. And so obesity yeah. is a little bit like that. Yes. And so then, I mean, that's yes. assuming a lot. You know? Yeah. That's a quote. I, if someone wants to get us right, right there. <laughs> the the problem is. You even though they're doing this, it's almost like um, it's enforced from the outside by cancel culture, by uh, a Marxist approach. This is what you shall preach. Okay, so this it was a discussion work, point though. I wanted to bring People up. People don't actually agree with they it. They don't care. Yeah, well, that, okay. That isn't beautiful. I don't care if you tell me. I'm not attracted to this person that is carrying way too much weight. They're no longer... So are you saying when everybody says she's so beautiful, etc., they're lying? That is, it is the line that is appropriate to say. It is the politically correct line that you must toe in order to function in our current society. So they are lying. They are lying, okay. yes. Now, Which how much that they does know, line up with the like, is Dylan Mulvaney a beautiful woman? That's right. Anyone who says that he is, is also lying. That's and right. that's where I it's agree similar. I with that. Okay. Yeah. All right, so this leads me to an interesting question, right? So there are several there are several effects that or or I would say areas where leftism is trying to get a hold or maybe has a hold, and I've noticed them but I've never connected them. Okay, so one is the public schools, 
And so uh, leftism has been deeply ingrained into the schools of education for decades, right? Having gone through more than, more than two. I think I've gone to three different schools of education. I've seen it. It's everywhere. It's all yeah. part of it. Okay. Yeah. Um, one of the things I see educators do or I see uh, governments do is also try to incentivize people to leave small towns. Mm -hmm. They want to get them into the big cities so that their kids will go to the big city public schools because in the They're small town controlled. public schools, there's a little more conservatism. That's right. It's less and less all the time. Yeah. I think our, our local school boards have less and less impact at all. Significance. The spirit of the age is it's, stronger. It's minimal because there's so much top down from the yeah, state. That's true. But the other thing, the thing I've recently thought about is that corporations are now getting fully supported by the left, which was like crazy 20 years ago that Democrats or liberals would say were pro-corporation, mm -hmm. right? The Flip, corporations the were the enemy. They're corrupt. Yep, They're always right. doing everything for money. Yeah. But what you get now at corporations is the social enforcement. Yes, that's correct. Which is what you're getting at the school too. Yep, that's right. And so I think the social, what a social order enforcement, it starts at the universities, now it's public schools, now it's trickling its way up. Yeah, I, I think of it as a symbiotic relationship that has developed. The corporate structure is getting the approval from the state and a large measure of funding and greased wheels to move forward. Yeah. In exchange, they enforce the narrative of the left, and so you have a symbiotic, destructive spiral. A death yeah. spiral is what it's going to be. So if, if that's true, I mean, I'm thinking both worst-case scenario and maybe just reality, because if the federal government can wage that much power, can wield that much power, then the next president can wield it in reverse. And corporations should be, in the mm. past they did, resist that. Because a corporation wants everything to be as consistent as possible so they can predict their um, profits. I don't know that they can wield it in reverse. You don't think the if DeSantis beast, became president that he could reverse? He, I saw an article. He said, I'm going to use the DOG to go of, after these Soros attorneys. Yeah. I don't think it's going to work. The DOJ is a, it's a, it's a tiger by the tail. So, uh, okay, so you're saying the deep state is the one really running it anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. I think if corporations are going all along with it, then they must believe that too. Because then they believe that it's not going to change, even though someone else The only way would be to stop the government it. contracts, right? What do they get from it? If they well, you know what it means to give anymore. a haircut in a, in a corporate sense? No. Okay, so I come in, I'm the new CEO. I'm going to give the whole operation a haircut means okay. top 10% of all employees are fired on day one. Okay. And now whoever's underneath that, they become the managers of every division. Okay. And so what you're doing is you're saying the reason this place has gone sideways is not because the workers in the factory, it's because the managers had the wrong idea about yeah. reality. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah. we're just getting rid of them all. Yeah. And I think that is probably your only way, right? It's, it, you can't just say, well, I'm, giving, I'm gonna get rid of the FBI director and put in a yeah. new one. Okay, so- You've gotta get rid of the top brass all the way up. Let's, let's uh, take the uh, Trump syndrome out of it. Trump derangement syndrome? Trump derangement syndrome. Okay, okay. Because if you talk about it in that way, some, another dynamic comes away. Let's yeah. just run with DeSantis. You think he could be president. I don't think he has a chance. But let's say he is, okay? Okay. I mean- You're saying- It's not, it's not 100%. It's not 50. <laughs> it's not 50. Maybe it's 50. You're saying the haircut. Yeah. If he implemented it, so you don't have Trump derangement syndrome as a part of it, you just have DeSantis. <laughs> I, think, I think Trump derangement syndrome would immediately go and become DeSantis derangement it syndrome. It becomes something different, not to the degree. Look, remember they called Bush Hitler. Yeah. They called Romney when he started running Hitler. Yeah, yeah They yeah, called yeah. McCain. Going to put you all back in chains. So they all, 
they always attack the right, no matter who it is. Right. So I agree with you. They would do it. They've already started doing it to DeSantis when they thought maybe he might be. So you're right. It'll happen. But there has been nobody to the degree of Trump ever. Absolutely. Okay. So, so, let's, so let's, just, let's take your pitch. premise either way. Now, what you're saying is if he did the haircut, yeah. um, I think there's a potential for that to work in theory. There's another potential. And they say, not leaving. And that's where you get... Who's going to force me out? Right. That's where you, you get military intervention. Intervention. Because I do have army. Right. Well, that and is that is the difference, though. So there's going to be some strategy there for sure. There's going to be an enormous amount of propaganda and resistance. Right. That's claims, right. All the claims media of Hitler and totalitarian. Exactly They're going to call right. him a, a exactly dictator. Right. If it got it, down to you and what army, that is when it becomes civil war. I know. That's the hot war. So, yeah. Trump never but it's pushed that or it lose that the far. country. I agree with you. Well, partially I agree with you. Uh, let me just remind you, JFK, he determined he was going to split apart the CIA. Yeah. And he did not survive that. Right. Trump didn't even go that far. Yeah. He never He did just talked threaten. bad about him on Twitter. Yes, that's right. But that's he, he had. never had any plan that was perceived to be a direct existential threat like he's going to, you know, the idea to put this branch in Missouri, this branch in Nevada, this branch, right. you know, decentralize the federal government. That's just right. I think it's a pipe dream. I think it's a great one. Right. But I don't think this is DeSantis happen. plan or anybody's. You but know. no, but DeSantis has talked about that openly. Yes, yeah. he has. It was brought up during Trump's. And when I first heard, I thought that's brilliant. I think that would go a long way. Right. But you, how do you pull it off if they say no? And now at this point in history, they have the power to say no. So Trump's excuse for doing nothing in this regard was saying, I don't have the power to fire people. That's what he said about Fauci and others. I don't understand and, that. I never bought And it's a I union thing where you have to fire someone for cause and all that. But the workaround, I, I mean, he's, he could have. He didn't want so. to, That's for what sure. I think. But that was his excuse. That was one of his what biggest What DeSantis blemishes. has said is, my workaround is, there's no, there's no restriction on layoffs. So... I can't go and say, Fauci, I don't like you. You're out. I mean, you could because it's a federal, especially putting him on the the commission that's dealing with it. You can get him off the commission, even if you don't fire him from his job. But even then, if you say, I'm laying off this whole division, what are they? Gonna, there's nothing they can do. They're laid off. Right. If you say, and I heard someone, I don't remember who this was, was saying what you do is you lay off, say, the entire Department of Ed. Mm -hmm. Then you say, we're going to open it up again over here. You can reapply. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's going to be in... Yeah. You know, Arkansas. Yeah, maybe that would work. That'd be interesting. You know, Reagan did a similar thing with the traffic controllers. You, you might. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I was. They were I, I was just <laughs> about to bring that topic up, and I thought, forget it. They went on strike, and he fires them. Yeah. Because he was so, in a sense, revolted by the mass arm-in-arm -arm action, try to stop us, and right. he did, and got away with it. I don't know that you could today. Uh, yeah. So that gets I back to your find phrase out. when uh, the end of civilization. So here's the dilemma. If we view it, which you and I don't, but if we view it in purely human terms of we see a pathway and it's developing a certain way mm -hmm. and it can't doesn't seem to be stoppable, then okay. that is what's going to happen. The problem is with that and for you and I and what we have to think, that takes that does not take account that there's another king in inserting himself into, into the this. affairs of men. That's right. Yeah. And you're talking about not, Gandalf, right? <laughs> <laughs> we do not know 
what will happen when the kingdom of Jesus is involved, when he decides to make a series of actions, how mm -hmm. it shifts things. And I've thought this about China. You're sounding like a Christian nationalist there for a second. I've <laughs> Jesus going to interrupt the political atmosphere? Well, the way we would interrupt, that I would see him interrupting is probably different from you. A but, rapture? Um, no. <laughs> no, I'm not into that one. Uh, but um, well, I've thought about China. There was a season in which it appears China... They're still on a pathway of world domination yeah. and that replacing American hegemony. Mm -hmm. And that has made me have different fears and conspiracy theories, and, I, and that's its own set of questions. Why do you feel that way, Mike? But one of the things I thought to myself, it seems inevitable, right? That China yeah. will take over. That's right. Hmm. Uh, but one of the things I've thought is, wait a minute now. Wait a minute now. Who says... Why could there not be a spiritual revival in China? Well, there could be a revival. There's I mean, a massive church right now. I grew up, that's all I heard about was revival I know in China. it, and that was a lot more talked about a few years ago. It's not, there's, Seems my understanding faded. is there's more liberty now. So the church has, has, they're undergoing in China, what was called the underground church. They have a disagreement. The mm -hmm. disagreement is this. One half of them says, stay underground. It was good. We we're being persecuted. We need to operate this way. This is the Jesus way. Yeah. It's the other says, we have freedoms to be above ground now. We mm. should take them and try to influence. It's so that's not how I heard it, but I, and I'm not to yeah, disagreeing yeah, yeah. with yeah, you. Yeah. The way I heard it is their church was divided over, we should continue to focus on evangelism and missions, or we should begin to have public influence in the political okay, sphere. Okay, very similar. But seems like the same idea. Similar yeah, idea, yeah, yeah. just express a little different. Mm -hmm. And I think that's interesting that that's where they are, and so... To me, there's been a cooling down of the, the heat around the underground church in China and mm -hmm. how big it is and successful and whatnot. But let's just pretend. But the point being this, you have no idea, we have no idea. It seems that there is this movement of the kingdom of Jesus that kind of keeps going west. It has started out east and over oh, 2,000 I was going to ask you about this. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Why did it not go east? Is there a spiritual... I don't know. Aspect to that? I don't know the why. I've just observed it. Here's the, here's general, the trick with there's that, exceptions. Though. Is the gospel definitely went into India, right? I know. It definitely went into the I agree. Asia. And but it kind of was halted. China, you know, before it really hit Americas and went into Korea and South America. So but it never became exceptions. A, it never became a cultural cemented phenomenon like it did in Europe, right? Christian Europe was That's like... Right. Christianity what I, what I notice, if you take out all the exceptions, all it is is a chart that in general moves a certain direction. That doesn't mean there's not dips and rises. I see it as a wave in general, like if there was a worldwide ocean that is just spiritually swept west, in general. Okay. okay. And if that's the case, then the 1040 window you and I grew up hearing a lot about, mm -hmm. it is making inroads even now. Right. And what we don't know is that if it makes those inroads... China could take over hegemony with the, a Psalm 2 kind of thing. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? Yeah. And Jesus overturns it. Right. They take this role, and America's role in that diminishes, and it seems all bad. And all of a sudden, God begins to change China, and there's a benevolence of His kingdom administration extending out from China in a way nobody ever anticipated. That's possible. So, no, absolutely it is. Is that also reminiscent of a post-millennial it, mentality, it itself right? Into it, that every nation sure. would begin rule. But the all-millennial could be tied into it, too, because mm. in the wake of that wave seemed to be barren dead spots. Oh, for sure. Well, not Oregon almost <laughs> like they can't be lit again. 
It's mm. really a strange thing, and it's well. Know, it's, I, I think I often of it, it, if it's the salt loses its saltiness, yes, that, what good that is that it phrase. except to that's be thrown right. out and trampled? And that's yeah. what the church, in, at least in, in so America, is feeling like sometimes. The America, Europe has been worse. I mean, the Reformation yeah. and revivals came in Europe. But I'll tell you, the, Europe is blaming America for the social craziness, right? They the see world it, is blaming America. Well, yeah, but in, Europe is facing some of the same riots and around know. George Floyd and all that stuff. And they're seeing that its source is universities in the U.S. They're facing riots around George they Floyd. Were. They were in 2020. They had riots, okay. and it was like, you guys are saying we're racist over here. We, what do we have to do with it, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was basically just university ideas, American universities, yeah. bleeding yeah. over. yeah. It's yeah. really just communism. <laughs> um, hey, quick question on TMNT, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Does your thought include any element of reparations? I think, no. I think it's fashionability. I think Hollywood says, this is what's fashionable, we're going to do it. Mm. And I think the whole thing, because I still think Hollywood is all about what, how are so, we going to make money. If they think it'll wait, make more money, they'll do it. The, the pudginess. So your point, in a sense, had nothing to do with the character being black, but with the character being pudgy. No, I think it's both. Okay, yeah. but pudgy is. I know they're both that, fashionable to to give uh, recognition and main character status to. In the past, okay, they so wouldn't. Okay, so I been. think that's because there's two issues. The one is what's beautiful. Yeah. The second is reparations. Right. We're going to atone for the sins of our past, and we're going to give more roles to black people than they are represented in the population, or even if the role in the film doesn't call for it, we're going to do it anyway. I think if you went and asked some of the executives, especially if they're younger, in some of the production companies in Hollywood, they would say exactly what you're saying. They yeah. believe, they're true believers. Yes. But I think that in the final decision, the old guys who really want to make the money, they're saying what, you know, they're, they're testing, surveying the public, saying who's going to go see this because it represents, because it's this. I agree with that. My only pushback on it would be the making of money, I've come to conclude that that is not the primary emphasis of Hollywood. Because the Passion of the Christ, remember at the time, was near $400 million. It could make money. No way. Right. They'll make money losers. to get. Look at the Oscar nominations. They are, if it is not some destruction of a moral issue, it doesn't matter if it only made 10000 Well, I think they still understand you know. that you can't worship God and mammon. And they definitely worship mammon, so they're not going to glorify God. Mm -hmm. I just think that's an I think, an though, they're willing to spend mammon in order to destroy God if they can. I think, Yeah, I think there's a little bit of that. Yeah, yeah. for sure. The other side yeah. of it, too, is that uh, they see their role in society as uh, a, de a degrading, right? They see Christian influence as the enemy of free expression. I think there's that sort yeah. of, like, libertine artist superiority to them. That's They're kind not of entirely accepted. wrong in that. Well, I mean, I want to destroy a lot of what they represent. <laughs> that, and you don't think you're free to go wherever your imagination might go. Yeah. You put constraints on yourself. Right. Say, that path is unhealthy. I'm okay. going to say no to that path. So this reminds me, I've been reading, and actually, we'll make this an announcement. One of the announcements I wanted to make is that I started a YouTube channel and, and another podcast it's called the Trinity School Audio Library, where I'm reading aloud some of the books from our library so that kids with disabilities who struggle to, you know, focus and read can listen along or they can yeah. just put it on their iPad or whatever. Um, but I've been going through the screw tape letters. Yes. And in one of the letters, I think it's letter 12 I recently did, he was talking about how once you get the Christian avoiding the real presence of God, 
and doing sort of pseudo religious things, you can actually like distract them with nothing. Like early on, you have to distract them with real temptations of pleasure and of mm. sin. But there's a point where now they're just going to stare at a wall if it means they don't have to pray. Yeah. Right. Almost anything can distract Opium. them from real, from real uh, the, presence the of God. Opium prayer. Of the masses. Once you get them on, then you just they can. They're okay with junk and garbage. Yeah. 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 But yeah. it made me think a lot of this, like how much time, and I, I get tempted by this a lot, is like, how much time am I just scrolling through to the point where I don't even care what I'm seeing, and I don't actually enjoy it. Yes. I feel like, man, I'm right in there. That, that happened to me last night, <laughs> literally. When I was looking for the short that Charlie made, the three of them, mm, I could only yeah, find yeah. one, it took me somehow to shorts, and shorts, short clips. YouTube shorts YouTube is shorts. what it's called. And yeah, I yeah. saw, there's another one, I thought, oh, that's kind of funny. And yeah. I just started scrolling. Pretty soon, an hour had gone by. Yeah, I it's shocking. The whole hour, and it's like, what are you doing? And and each time you're saying, I don't like that one. I don't like that one. That's right. Which gives you the illusion of choice. I'm choosing. Yeah. But it also creates the anticipation that maybe the next yeah. one will be good. Yeah. And so there's an I, addictive like pulling a slot I machine. I think this is the unrecognized addictive component of technology that has information, and we are addicted like a drug to these images and no thought in our life. Just let it go across the screen. So here's this. Here's where by. I struggle with that because I totally agree with you, except for the sense that you said it's unrecognized. So two, three, four years ago, a documentary came out, right, called the Social Dilemma or yep, something yep, like yep, that. Yep. Everybody watched it. Everybody talked about it. We have yeah, this is bad, and then we just went back to normal, mm -hmm. right? Maybe we put a few more constraints on our kids and their phones access or whatever, but we're still walking yeah. right into it. And YouTube, all. Um, Instagram, Facebook, they all have that same swipe short video. Yeah. It's TikTok. They're yeah. all just mimicking TikTok. Okay. And it's that, man, if we get the video short enough and punchy enough, it just draws yeah. them in. Well, so what you're dealing with there, the dilemma is it's recognized at the same time that it's also not recognized. It's addiction. It's addiction, but it's also this like numbing sleepiness. I know. And I think if the, if the job, if, if the desire of the Spirit of God is to wake you up, mm -hmm. right? Like we're talking about, we want, we need an awakening mm -hmm. in our country, but the only, t even the language of awakening, the only hear thing I hear about it is on the political. Mm. I don't hear anybody saying there's coming an awakening. We need an awakening of mm. people seeing their own spiritual condition mm -hmm. and the reality around them. It's, mm -hmm. it's minimal, or if you hear it, it's sort of fringy, right? It's like the, the, the Bethel kind of really emotional people. <laughs> okay. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. What about, does this tie it all into your thing? Uh, you talked last week about the, uh, in fact, the short that Charlie did was on our talk about uh, media and yeah. the occult. Okay. The the arrival of, of the occult as an in-your-face form mm -hmm. of media. Yeah. Do you think that will create a growing interest in awakening spiritually because these are fierce, these are real things that are being played with yeah. And if their teeth get into the back of your head and when they shake, it's painful. It, mm. It's going to cost you. I think I think maybe one of the other things that came up in that book he was talking about uh, in in the his letters. And if you haven't read um, C.S. Lewis Screw Tape Letters, I recommend it. They're exceptional. So one demon is writing to the other, giving him advice. Yes. And this demon says, at this present time, we've been commanded to keep our existence uh, secret. Mm -hmm. But in the future, it will be, he talks about materialist magicians, mm -hmm. people who deny the spiritual and yet indulge in the occult. Yes, and that when that yes. combines, and this is, he's writing this, what, 40, 50 I years know. ago? When those uh, two combine, that. 
Way more. He call, he says that's when it'll be the end, and yeah. then it will be unleashed. Yeah. And that's that is okay. what you're describing. Can we seg it all, or do you have a? Can we go to the haunted cosmos? Um, yeah. Well, wanna, actually, I wanted to connect else? it to. Go somewhere else. No, I think it connects really well. So the the idea that connects to me is I was listening to Michael Heiser, mm-hmm. who I don't know if he was ever on Haunted Cosmos, but he was on Blurry Creatures. These are mm-hmm. very similar genre podcasts talking about they quote him haunted spiritual cosmos. beings, yeah. and, you know, and and how they connect to stories of the ghosts and aliens world. and the unseen world and Bigfoot and all that. Yeah. What Michael Heiser described, because he talked often about the Council of the Gods, Psalm 82 mm-hmm. and Psalm 2 are both kind of refer mm-hmm. to this council. You hear about it in Job, and, and there's hints of it in early Genesis, right? That these beings that God made, angelic beings, mm-hmm. you could say, mm-hmm. whose role was to protect, to watch over the earth, mm-hmm. and even to watch over the nations. Mm-hmm. There's some Connection, evidence that after, nations, yeah. after Deuteronomy. Uh, Noah... Right, that the descendants of Noah became what we think of as the nations, yeah. and that each being, yeah. and they, and then they rebelled against God. Or yeah, right. They turned away. They began to follow uh, their own ways. Yeah, and now God mocks them in the Psalms. Right, He sits in heaven. He laughs. Okay, so what Michael Heiser was then describing is that the fulfillment of the Great Commission, which I would sort of connect to Christian nationalism. We talked about that, right? That making Jesus Lord of every nation. Um, is also spiritual warfare. It's dethroning or it's uh, taking back the dominion of these beings who say, well, this region, this country, it belongs to me, and I've rebelled against God, so it's mine. And so when Jesus becomes Lord of this region, it's almost like saying, no, you don't, you're, th- you're on a throne of lies. Jesus is now on the throne. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which I think might connect to what you were talking about, cosmic cartography. Yeah, well, let me ask about that, though. Uh, this spiritual warfare, Christian nationalism. Yeah. Um, when you see that, uh, just in terms of what you just said, the way you just said it, where would you find the idea that he takes the geography versus? Because I keep wanting to say, I'm agree with the what you how you say it, mm-hmm. but in my mind, I see him taking the people from the dominion of these beings. I don't see them ever losing. They've lost it at the cross. Yeah. But they don't get it taken away till the day of judgment. Yep. And in the interim, what I see the kingdom of Jesus doing is coming and taking the people out of their kingdom. They still live there, let's say yeah, India, yeah. But or let's do the Prince Oregon. of Persia. I mean, <laughs> that's true. That's that's where you have to start breaking it down, and it becomes startling. Yeah. But if we just use the biblical phrase Prince of Persia, whatever that means, Iran or Iraq, uh, you have this dominion of sphere geographically with its people. What I see is Jesus coming in and. Take evangelism takes them under his grip, though they still live there, mm-hmm. makes them part of Jesus' kingdom, and says, now live differently under that ruler in Persia. Yeah. Instead, And what I heard you say is comes, and he is taking Persia's dominion and reducing it almost like it's geographically separated, like it's geographically mm-hmm. and not just mm-hmm. people. How do you hear that? Or, okay, so he- I'm hearing you. Yeah, so... I think the geographical part is already dismantled by the fact that Jesus says he's now, all authority is his. So I think that is taking the geographic dominion from those spirit beings. But they still are here, and they still fancy themselves to be the rulers, but in fact they're not. Why, and so what do then, you think when it says the God of this world, that Satan is still called the God of this world? As well, if his sphere is still his, it's just been undone, and the time in when it, he realizes it, or it takes puts it in effect... 
It's the well, so I see it as the fulfillment of the dominion mandate. So the, there's a parable Jesus tells about a, a prince who goes off to be made mm -hmm. king, and the people in the dominion that he's going to rule once he's made king send messengers saying, "We don't want this king." Mm -hmm. And it says when he comes back, he's gonna. Uh, bring those people before me and slay them, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that's a description of the of this idea that Jesus is now away. He's been made king, and he has yet to return and really make every knee bow. But at this time, there are people it's now... Still his. There's it's, two kingdoms in yeah. this realm. Yes, I Authority-wise, it's his. I agree with that. But there are still people around who fancy themselves... that authority. Yeah, that's right. Sense. And so spiritual warfare, or the dominion mandate, or the Great Commission... The spreading of the gospel is going to that kingdom and saying, "Hey, this guy's not really the king. He says he's the king, but he's not." And the real one's coming back, and it's sort of like changing okay, wait, allegiances, changing allegiances. Back. Yeah, not to so, take the guy off the throne. He's already off the throne. To show that at his least throne sits on a from the other person's, from the prince's perspective, which is the real one, but he's still sitting on the throne in practicality. He's sitting. He's until sitting until the king, prince comes back and dethrones him. He's still saying, "No, this is mine." He's and he claiming it that way, and he and he and because he's there, and only people present are his emissaries. But the actual powerful ruler has yet to return. Right. Then he's claiming his dominion, but he doesn't actually have it, which is why you can cast a demon out, mm -hmm. and the demon will say, "No, this person belongs to me." Right. I mean, I've literally had these conversations. Mm -hmm. And you say, no, this person was bought with the blood of Jesus, and mm -hmm. he's now free. Mm -hmm. And you declare the truth, you establish the authority of the true king of this place, this heart, this person, and then they are redeemed. They are set free from so that. So when you say it that way, yeah, uh, the prince coming back, you're saying evangelism, in this sense, is announcing that there is a now, the real king has come. That's right. What was your king before? Uh, legally is no more. Correct. Now, he's yeah, still yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So imagine you go, imagine you go to the governor of Oregon and you say, how dare you, how dare you write a law, pass a law, sign it, right, as the governor that goes against the true king of this place, who mm -hmm. is Jesus. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't even know what to do. Mm -hmm. But that is the Christian message. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, you're talking about people now. Yeah, you've moved out of evangelism. Now you've moved. That's a different message. When you said, go "Well, to it's the evangelism governor. to call them to repent." Okay, you didn't say that. So you're saying to you said, "How dare you pass a law?" Yeah, you're. So when you first told it, you weren't having this emissary of Jesus' kingdom come and say, uh, "It's not Kate Brown. What's her name? Kotek." Yeah, Tina. Kotek. Uh, Tina. <laughs> Tina. The the real king is here. You need to repent, Tina. Yeah. Your first version was. Tina, you shouldn't pass that law. Is there a difference there? Well, a call to repentance is to say you're doing it wrong. Yeah, but so I don't repentance see a difference. is unto bowing to the real king. Mm -hmm. There's a difference between that versus unto administrating the other guy's agenda. Think of John the Baptist, right? He says to the centurion, uh, oh, enforce the laws justly, don't extort anyone, mm -hmm. right? He says to the tax collector, give back... He's giving instructions to each person in the place God's put them, including, he says to Herod, stop taking your, your brother's wife, right? Mm -hmm. So he's calling to repentance, not just you need to turn to God in your heart or pray a prayer, but also you need to do what's right in, in whatever sphere of power and influence you have. I agree with that. So when John says that 
it's it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Hmm. He is speaking to now Herod. Now he's even using law. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, it's it's within this Judaistic. It's the law of Israel. What right. you're doing breaks what God's commands are to our nation state. This is before yeah. the covenant yeah. changes. Right. So it's a legitimate thing. And to me, I see that as a shift then unto the new covenant. Mm. So what I, where I still, I'm, I'm trying to hear you with, with everything and, and try to hear what you're saying, but I still find when you say a phrase like, oh no, I don't, I don't. And so in yeah, terms yeah. of Christian nationalism being spiritual warfare, my pushback on that is I just still see, when you said go to Tina and say, this law is not the right law of the real king. Yeah. I saw that as a political action, which it's not that it's not spiritual, but it's not the primary spiritual warfare. I see it as go to Tina and say, Tina, you need to bow to the real king. Yeah. Now, out of that will flow what you do with laws. But Yeah, but, it, but when you say it that way, it almost sounds optional, right? Well, it's not op. It is optional until she, if she, once she repents, then she needs to live that out. But right now, she's saying, "I don't recognize a king." It is optional. No, I'm. I agree. What I'm saying is, she, and it's different than well, one. I think it's a distinction without a difference. But because we're both saying she should act the same way at the end. At the end, based yes. on the same action I we're mean, calling her to. She should act that way before, but she's not going to. She's in rebellion right. to the real prince. Yeah, which is why she needs to repent and but do the, what's right. That's what I'm saying, uh, spiritual warfare, Christian nationalism as spiritual warfare. I don't see that connection except at a secondary way. I see spiritual warfare as fighting for each individual under the, under the sway of this, we'll call him a, an on-paper, dethroned, yet still raging to be removed king. Power, power, power without authority. Power. So or the authority's been limited. It's been cut off in some sense. Well, there's all still authority is, belongs to Christ. But he has still left them with some authority. No, he's left them with power. And he's okay. called us to okay. take dominion, okay. meaning to left take back power the power versus the, authority. Well, I, I have to say so, that. If I, someone is a warlord, right? Someone could set up in our town and say, I'm in charge now, and right, and maybe they have enough guns and maybe they have a gang, and now they rule. But they don't actually have authority, they just yeah. have power. Well, so this is a difficult one because. I, um, this gets in. Maybe this will be our wrap up for this point because we have some other things to do. But the distinction is there a distinction between authority and power? There, the Greek words are different, mm-hmm. right? And so I've been asking myself the question. And I don't know the answer, and I don't. I'm not even necessarily asking you today. You could say if something if you want. But okay. is there a difference between authority and power? Because there is seems to be an element of interchange yeah. and an element of distinction. And I'm not. I'm not really sure what I think about that. So here's an example. Because okay. sometimes authority does mean power. There are a lot of children. There are a lot of children who wage incredible power over their parents. Okay. They manipulate. Okay. They get their way when they shouldn't. Okay. They don't actually have authority. Correct. And if righteousness were established, they would submit to the right godly authority mm-hmm. that their parents wield over them, and the responsibility those parents carry for their upbringing. Mm-hmm. But they have the power. They do mm-hmm. what they want. The parents mm-hmm. cower. They submit. They compromise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's what so I see as the, the difference. power without authority. Right. So I'm not. Yeah, I see the separation. But so, so. here's the spiritual. Okay. Here's the spiritual uh, warfare, is that there are powerful spiritual beings, and this actually can tie back to Hollywood. There are power, power, powerful spiritual beings at work who want to express their corrupt influence through law, through media, okay, through education, right, through every institution and including down to the family. 
one parent to the other and to their children. And so those spiritual beings are waging an outsized influence in our political realm right now, such that Oregon laws that protect um, parental authority, that, that undermine parental authority, yeah. That, yeah. that groom children towards sexual deviance, all yeah. this stuff, right? Yeah. That perpetuate mental yeah. health disorders. We could go not on Not even agreed by the majority. That even of the people, majority of, of, of Oregonians rebels, say of is rebels. not right. That's, oh, that's right. right, yeah. Okay, so when if we were to go to those people in power, let's say Tina Kotek, and, and say, Jesus is king, how dare you? Mm-hmm. And she were to say, you're right, I'm going to make a change. Then you would be thwarting the influence, the, the power that those evil beings are waging or, or wielding over Oregon mm-hmm. and, take, and establishing Jesus' authority. Mm-hmm. And that is... The Dominion Mandate. What? Uh, the how? But dare the goal you? would never be politics, right? The goal would be righteousness. Okay. One heart at a time. So I like that better. And an influence that, that comes from it. Yeah. 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 Um, the how dare you? Tell me why? Why those? Why those words? Why the how dare you? Well, I think it establishes Jesus. If Jesus is really King, and someone says, "I'm going to take His throne," there's an offense to that. And I think Christians have, we've trained ourselves to never be offended, even on behalf of God in heaven. And if you look at what, the way John the Baptist, as an example, the way he preached is the axe is at the root of the tree. You're going to die. He's going to take you down if you don't do what's right. Mm -hmm. That's a how dare you type of statement, in my view. Okay. Yeah. I don't disagree with the element of taking offense that there is a, 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 there's been a loss, they've lost a certain capacity. But the, the where I question it is, um, it's the Titus passage, I think, the very beginning, and I don't have a Bible here to read it, because this would be a better one to have read. Um, but it says something along the lines of, submit to those who are in authority over you. Okay. The reasoning is what's so striking, though. It is, for you were yourself were once lost and wicked, mm-hmm. and it, it, it lists three or four adjectives there that are startling. Yeah. The logic is disconcerting because what it's saying is this it's assuming that the reason that logic can hold sway the only reason is if their actions are wicked and depraved yeah yeah yeah. you're supposed to submit to them because remember you were just like them which is interesting because it's basic it seems to say to me and, and you can push back on this if you read it different it seems to me to say that they're doing things that are unrighteous, and there's an element in which you need to be patient and submit to that. Okay. The reason being, you were once greatly unrighteous just like them, but God came and changed your life. Okay, I'm going to read it. Okay. Because this is really interesting. Yeah. Okay, this is Titus 3. Yeah. It says, and I'm reading in the NAS. Okay. For some reason. The wooden, accurate. Okay, Remind, remind them then, it says... To Titus. Remind Titus. them to be subject to rulers, yes. to authorities, to be yeah. obedient, to be ready for every good deed. Okay. To slander no one, not to be contentious, to be gentle, showing every consideration for all people. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we did in righteousness, but in accordance with His mercy, by the washing and and regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He richly poured out upon us 
through Jesus Christ our Savior. I'm not sure, is that? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the bulk that's of it. Point, okay. Yeah. So what I see is he's saying, live a good and quiet life. Agreed. Yeah. And in particular, even showing every consideration, even to non-believers, for all people, mm-hmm. whom he says, you were once similar, right? We too were once well, foolish, the, disobedient, etc. The polite to all people is right, but there also was the rulers and being obedient. That's right, yeah. But I, I don't think he's saying that if they tell you to murder your baby, go murder your baby. I think they say, no, we're not going to do correct. that. Correct, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, I think what it assumes is when he lists what they were, those words, you have to mm-hmm. think, those words reflect what the leaders are doing. See, and, and I the see laws it, that I see it as I read it, as the end, I'm showing you here. Okay. I, at the end of verse 2, slander no one, not to be contentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all people, for we too were once foolish. Right. So this so is the, the all people. Too. Well, and I agree that it's all people, okay, okay. but also that it's the leaders, subject to rulers, to authorities, yeah, as well as all people. See, what I, when the I read this— The same ground is for both categories. I could, I could, I'm, I'm not against it, and, I, and, yeah. I, and maybe we're making a mountain out of a molehill a bit, a bit but not you, but I'm saying we're, our, our argument, our disagreement is pretty minor in the sense that when I, being subject to rulers, to authorities, it's like saying to your son, if you get pulled over, you're respectful to the police, mm-hmm. right? If you disagree with what he says— you say, yes, sir, and you go along with it, and you can take it up with the judge. That's right. You, you're, and what he's doing is he's saying, this is the Even right way to he live. he goes and bashes your taillight, That's right. clearly um, things of malice, hateful, hating one mm-hmm. another, whatever, yeah. enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, he's, on, he's operating outside of what a good police officer would do. Correct, yeah, yeah, yeah. You if still, that were to happen. You still, as long as he doesn't ask you to do anything morally wrong, you submit to that. Yeah. Because look, you were once like this also. And the same argument with your neighbor as well. So how does that connect to like someone saying to a political uh, ruler, how dare you? Well, it doesn't, strictly speaking, except that the how dare you is an element of indignation, right? Yeah. And I think that's legitimate. But I think this provides another emotional response pattern. So it's sort of like do everything out of love, even if it includes rebuke. You still, if it's not loving, it's selfish. I would say this. It's... What you said, I don't disagree with the indignation component. Yeah. And that, but what I would add is that there are other components of motive that call for different responses. And you, your job is to discern when the indignant reply is the appropriate one. Right. And when the submit to them, even though they're asking for foolish things to be done, as long as they're not asking you to do a, a moral wrong, right. submit to this because they're wicked like you once were. And I think an important point you're making, which I totally agree with, is the Bible never displays aggressive indignation to a foolish non-believer who just does what foolish non-believers do, right? So if your neighbor who knows no better is cheating on their wife or getting I a divorce or bla- even blaspheming God, yeah. to be to scoff and disgust, to exhibit this kind of self-righteous superiority is totally wrong. It's You're called to lovingly exhort them and invite them to know God and do right, right? What Jesus, I see, reserves his disdain for, not just Jesus, but also John the Baptist, like we're talking about, many of the prophets of the Old Testament, their disgust is reserved for people in influence who are exerting that influence in in ways that degrade the population. I actually have been thinking a lot, and this isn't our list, but it jumps me to this Balaam's error. The story of Balaam, who was a prophet of God, but for hire. And he was hired by the enemies of God's people, to try to curse them. Yes. And in obe- he, he said openly, I can only say what the Spirit of God tells me. <laughs> and yet still the angel comes to, like, to 
put the fear of God in him, and yet he persists, right? Yeah. And the backstory is because he was later killed in judgment. He was killed in battle as God's judgment, it says later yeah, in Scripture. Yeah, that's right. And his, his error, and his error is mentioned in three times in the New Testament, all at the end, speaking yeah. about the end times. So yeah. Jude, Second Peter. Uh, Second Peter, and Revelation. Yeah. And the what Balaam did was he said to the ruler who hated God's people, I can't curse them because they're righteous and before God, God's blessed them. Mm-hmm. But here's how you get them. You tempt them yeah. into sexual immorality, yeah. right? And what I think, and so the Bible is t- talking about these rulers of God's people, these pastors who are falling into Balaam's error and saying, it's okay if you're sexually immoral, it's okay. And, there's, mm-hmm. and their, their rationale is, I want to be kind. That's I want to be gentle. The Revelation passage. But it's leading yeah. people to this destruction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I agree. It's um, a heavy one. On the, uh, I, so I'm in agreement that uh, indignation is reserved more firmly for leaders. Yeah. And the way Jesus interacts with them, even, and Elijah was the same, and John the Baptist is the same, all three of those examples. Yeah. Uh, however, I think there's two examples that show that that's not an exclusive um, response pattern. Okay. And that is both Paul and Jesus responding to a high priest when they didn't realize it, and a high priest pursuing an evil course. Giving them honor as the high priest. That's right. Yeah. And in a sense, submitting to them, they're not at those times being asked to do anything wrong, but they submitted to this leader implementing what the leader should not have been doing and knows better. And I think that's where Christians, pastors in particular, I have a hard time when they just flippantly disgrace Joe Biden, right? Mm-hmm. And, and let's go Brandon and all that yeah, nonsense, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. It's fun and it makes yeah. sense, but it's it's you're sinning. Yeah. You're speaking ill of the leader of your people. Yeah. And it's a sin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, good so ground, I'll, good conversation on that. Christian Warfare, we're going to keep chipping away at it, right? I like it. I thought that was yeah. really good. Yeah, okay. yeah. Do you want to do one more piece? Well, so I do have one more, but before I do, I want to say this podcast is a part of the Trinity School. Uh, it's a culture building enterprise that includes education, influence, industry, and the arts. And if you want to support what's going on at the Trinity School, we have a, a small micro school in my home, but we're also expanding it out into a business and industry and things like this. Um, yeah. if, you want to exp- if you want to support what's going on at the Trinity School, building communities that honor Christ, you can donate to our efforts by going to gracestaten.com slash Trinity School, or check us out online. We're in a bunch of places. Okay. All right, I wanted to make a recommendation with Ooh. a caveat. All right, so I have a TV show I want to recommend. Go. But I'll say it's a TV show that my wife doesn't want to watch. <laughs> okay, partly because I don't want to watch Dexter. It's gruesome, but it and this is a good. It's it's called right. Barry, and yeah. it's and it's similar to Dexter in the sense that it is quite a bit of violence and, and it's gruesome. Yeah, and it's portraying real evil. Yeah, the thing I don't like about Dexter is, and I don't watch any shows that are serial killer centered, even if it's yeah. the bad guy or whatever. You never made it past. There's a weird glorification of the serial yes. killer right now that's, right. that's tantalizing that's in a way that I won't even participate. That's right. I agree. Barry is this conflicted character who, the premise is really funny, and the show actually has a lot of really dark humor, is a, a war veteran, U.S. war veteran in Afghanistan, who's traumatized and just struggling with his trauma, he decides to go be a Hollywood actor. And he falls into uh, crime to sort of make his living yeah, yeah. as a hitman. Mm. So he's actively living out this, I need to come to grips with the trauma and the hurt that's in my heart, but then I'm making it worse by going out and participating in organized crime. Mm. And I think they, this show, I just finished the, the last season, it's four seasons. Uh, I think it does a good job of really facing the hard conflict of what sin is. Mm. That I continue to do what I don't want to do, and yet I want something better. 
How would you compare it to Breaking Bad? Well, I feel like Breaking Bad, that's a good question, because I didn't make it very far in Breaking Bad. I've not done one episode, and I can't. Either. I did three, because I had At so many episodes? people. Three episodes? <laughs> and that's okay. my, I usually... I know. Everybody says they do it. Brian Cranston, genius. I'll give it to Maybe them. Maybe I can't watch it. No, and what I found in Breaking Bad is after, and I'll give any show three episodes. Because I think Breaking Bad is the, the, the development of the fall, of a fall. That's right, yeah. See, what I see in this is the development of a struggle to make right and yet helpless in the face of evil. That's interesting. It also, when I, when I watched Breaking Bad, I just couldn't root for anybody. Yeah. I was like, I, I don't yeah. like any of these people. So Barry is different in the sense that there is an element of good in this that keeps you, it's, it's the divided Roman seven man. You openly, see, when, in Breaking Bad, you're watching Brian Cranston's character yeah. devolve into, right. I don't even care anymore. Yeah, I can't. That's and what I, I see do. in Barry is this character, he is devolving, but he's devolving into inner conflict saying, I don't, it's I don't want this, and yet I yeah. keep doing it. Man. And you so, know, that's what happened to it was me rich. when I became a Christian, mm. is um, I uh, was engaged in um, influence, uh, um, uh, herbal influences. <laughs> herbal. <laughs> and um, It's natural, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I found I couldn't stop. Mm. I wanted to, and I started to hate it. I heard it was non-habit forming. Well, and this wasn't isn't in that frame. This is uh, with a much milder doses in the eighties. But yeah. uh, I go to a class after lunch, in which I wanted to. And I enjoyed the class in school, and I couldn't unaffect yourself. You can't get out of yeah, it because you, you decide. It you can't mm -hmm. turn it off. And I hated it, and I wanted to then stop, and I couldn't stop. And I found out I was a slave, not to it in an addiction way, mm. but to pleasuring myself and and that was a stupid thing to say <laughs> living for pleasure and uh enjoying yourself and and i spent nearly a year hating mm. it grew in hatred that i couldn't stop so until it broke and i was admitted i'm a slave was it a crescendo and here's what i mean did your desire to stop and the depth of your depravity in both increase at the same time or did one diminish and the other increase in other words, was it a gradual departure, or was it an all-at-once, finally, I've had enough? You have to say that again. Okay, so a lot of people talk about hitting rock bottom, Yes. right? That they, their desire to quit is increasing, but as it does, the actual participation in the sin also increases mm. in power. And it's like you begin Mine didn't to... increase, I just couldn't stop. Okay. I couldn't stop. So, and I make a determination, I go to college, this is it, I'm going to make the break, because I said it was my friend's fault. Okay. <laughs> yeah. When I'm away from these friends, I go to college and I'm at a party the first weekend. Yep. And I'm doing the same things. Yeah. And and it it jolted me. And then what happened is because I have no exterior control, I have all exterior control, the home and being home. I'm staying up till three in the morning all the time. I start not going to class and I've excelled at math and science and I'm getting my first F because I don't go to class. Yeah. And my pride is broken and it's mm -hmm. I know why. And I just, I give in. I gave up. And that's why I said yeah, I give in. Yeah. I, I and give, I, I would say Barry was kind of like that. Yeah. It's kind of this like spiral down and yet and yet and yet all the way to the end. It's really fascinating. Can we story. end with one uh, with one theme of the spiritual component of things? Yeah. And Because uh, we're probably at our time right now mm -hmm. and we have a teeny bit of leeway. Uh, I had just listened to you and actually told me about it for different reasons, but a, a, a podcast called Haunted Cosmos, mm -hmm. which has been incredibly interesting. Yeah. And uh, the, for a number of reasons, but I, the reason I want to uh, bring up here in this context is 
because they're working from a fundamental premise that you and I share. Right. And that is that there are spiritual forces, or I call it just spirit forces. We won't get into the word. The word spiritual has a, a, a range of meaning that kind of... Interdimensional. But interdimensional or spirit forces, so what we're talking about is not spirituality as an adjective. Okay. But we're talking about beings, a range of beings that are invisible to our eyes. That are not that tangible. Yeah, yeah, and they can make, become that, but they don't have to. So what Heiser would call God's first family, right? Yeah. Now, so they operate with this belief system that the Scripture lays out, which we share. But then they take another thing that we haven't really done, you and mm. I. And I don't know if we want to. I don't necessarily know that I want to. It's a lot of work, and it's not as interesting to me. But the observation human experiences, mm. just across the board, across nations, across um, eras and, and ages, uh, decades and centuries. Yeah. And so, for example, uh, the Mothman. They have a whole episode. Mm-hmm. This phenomenon for like a year or 13 months, in what happened? All in this these one people, town. In this one town, independent of each other, they see the same, you know, and they tell all the stories because it's been written up. Uh, another one would be, which I thought was interesting, what we were mentioning earlier about the spiritual forces will it lead to um, renewal, and that is, uh, they're talking about the, the black hat man mm-hmm. and seeing in the shadows and this person, and it's they see the same thing. And they bring up the illustration of Aaron Rodgers, you know, the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. Yep. He just went to a New York Jets and broke his leg in the first game. Anyway, he goes on psychedelics right. down to South America, wanting to expand his mind, da, 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 and he meets the black hat man. Yeah. And it terrifies him. And then the black hat man starts showing up in his life when he's not on psychedelics. I heard this, and he's scared to go into certain rooms, training rooms in that the... By in himself. The... Yeah. And it is frightening to him. And he is a world-class athlete. He's incredibly wealthy. Yeah. He has all these things. And, and I just think that's interesting. Uh, there's a lot of factors of the interest level there with that. But this idea that the spirit forces they believe in, and then they're basically following up with human stories that share these threads. Because yeah. this black hat man has been over countless years and decades and being seen by others and... Hmm. They have episodes, uh, a sea serpent episode, all these accounts of seeing something in the ocean. So are you saying that these stories of what seem to be real experiencing yes. of haunted, yes. strange, extra, yes. extra, right? Yes, extra. That they're connected to the Bible. That's what they're attempting to do, Okay. which I think is interesting because um, what they're trying to do is with this assumption, biblical assumption of spirit forces, there's this family. Yeah. And we don't know a lot about it. We only know a teeny, teeny bit. Then they're taking all these stories. Right. Especially the ones that tie together among multiple peoples, multiple places, and saying, well, these people did not all collude because yeah. there are stories that are not true. Right. There, there's fantastic. There's going to be some, of and course. And they then draw this conclusion. This is why I use the word uh, cosmic cartography. Mm. They're trying to combine this foundational belief with the nature of shared experiences and the threads that... Sh- combine them to say, could this be a fuller speculative, Mm -hmm. but broader understanding of what's taking place and these spiritual forces? And the point then being, so that you might be armed. Hmm. And that gets back to then the question of, are we, as we repaganize, will we face a culture that becomes afraid? There's more there than they admit and thought. And it's frightening. 
and there's power. We won't get into the authority issue. There's power. <laughs> For sure. Right? And as they come face to face with it, what will that mean? Could we have a, a renewal? Right. I think yeah. that's a, a interesting idea. I think we should spend some time on this because, and, and in the next uh, episode perhaps, because I've listened to a lot of this too. I do find it fascinating, and I have made some biblical connections, but I look at the New Testament, I look at most of okay. the Old Testament, and it's just not there. This is an interesting Mon question. Sea monsters and all this stuff, but there could I've be been, explanations to this, I but know. it's a deeper... I've been thinking about that exact thing, trying to hear what they're saying, and I like what they're saying, but then if I step away and cut it all off and think, but what does the Bible, how did it interact with this people? This component is minimized. It is. And so is it minimized with intent? Reason? Yes, that's To the not question. give them glory? Or is it that it's just not real? Um, yeah. Well, I suppose that's an option. Yeah. yeah well, yeah, let's yeah. wrestle with it next time. Well, and then, so here's what I want to mention on that. Scooby-Doo. You know, yeah. watching this? You know what that <laughs> reminded me of when I was listening? I listened to several of them today because I was out and about. Mm -hmm. That's what Scooby-Doo It's was. always a hoax in the end, though. It's Scooby-Doo is in the 60s yep. when a bunch of this stuff happened. Okay, yeah, right, right, happened. right. The Mothman and, and Scooby-Doo, Mothman being one of them, uh, is it's always exposed to be a human actor. Always. Right, right. It's never, it appears to be supernatural. Okay, so I, next time That's we talk, I want to talk about that because I have a connection to the Salem Witch Trials. Mm. Yeah, and I think it could be really interesting. Do I have time for one more question that's on this thing? No. I might have ran out. Yeah, we got to oh, go. Man, this is my favorite question, too. Okay. <laughs> okay, next time. All right, so uh, you've been listening to On Second Thought with Mike and Luke, and if you enjoyed this episode, you found something to reconsider or something you've never even thought about, I want you to go ahead and share it with a friend, and then go have a good conversation, and remember, think again.